few days after I shoplifted that Motley Crue tape. My grandparents drove back to North Carolina with Alec. The whole reason for the visit was to pick up my little brother and take him south to their place for about a week. I was going to have surgery, and everyone thought it best if Alec stayed with Mimi and Papa. Alec was swallowed up by the back seat of their giant Pontiac Bonneville and was chauffeured south. I packed a kit bag for the hospital. My surgery was early the next morning, so I was going to spend the night all by myself to be ready first thing. After my parents said goodnight, see you in the morning, I love you, blah, 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 I sat in the dark with the blinds open. This was Children's Hospital in Washington, D.C., and I could see the Washington Monument out my window, something I usually saw only fleetingly from the back seat of a car. I brought a Walkman and a stack of heavy metal tapes with me. I even brought that stolen crew tape. thought I'd give it another chance, so I played it first, and it still sucked. <laughs> I put on autograph, and that sounded like shit. Two more tapes, and I turned them off before the second song. The, the glossy anger of heavy metal wasn't working. My tapes were useless. I was sitting in this hospital room because I'd convinced my parents to let me have the surgery. I didn't need it. Well, I believed I needed it, though. I, I, I thought it would fix me. In seventh grade, I had to uh, change into a uniform for gym class. We had to uh, use the locker room, and everyone was issued a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, blue and white, our school colors. There were these two pudgy, interchangeable blonde boys that were a great ahead of me, normal as could be. And their class changed in the locker room at the same time. Their lockers were next to mine. They figured out quickly it was easy to pick on me. I didn't fight back, and you could see the taunts land on my face. Plus, I was tall. I was over six feet, but weighed about 150. My sternum was shaped, so my chest looked caved in. It was, it, it has some proper medical name that people keep telling me and slips away from recall even all these years later, even now. But anyways, it's a thing with a name, and it was obvious to these two bullies, and they called me Bird Chest. So stupid. Bird Chest. I mean, really, a bird has a puffed-out chest, but it made sense to me, and it stuck in repeat. I thought it was all people saw. I started skipping the locker room and going to gym class in street clothes, but Mr. Morris would mark me off for not dressing, so I started to fail gym class. It was so dumb. Like, such a meaningless taunt from two assholes who I'm sure never thought about it until they saw me. But it looped in my head, that phrase, bird chest, that, that, that thing that was wrong with me, bird chest, that everyone could see bird chest until that's all I could see. I believed it. I couldn't see my real chest through the warping gravity of my repeated thoughts. So, fuck gym class, right? But I was going to fail, so... My parents had to sign some note 
And that's how they found out. And my dad played football in school and he couldn't understand how he could fucking fail gym class. And I cried and promised to do better. What I didn't tell them is the reason for failing was being too ashamed to change in front of those little fuckers every morning. But I'd, I'd go back for a few days and take it and then I couldn't again. And then I failed gym class and my dad was so angry. He yelled and then he yelled some more. And then once it was just me and my mom, she kept asking why I wouldn't participate. At that point, I was too headachy from all the crying to resist. And I, I admitted to her that the reason was having to change in the locker room before class. But she still didn't understand or thought I meant like I was shy. Not understanding it was about my fucking flaw, that horrible thing that was wrong with me. My chest, all sunken and ridiculous. My chest. I finally said it. I finally admitted it. I wanted to fix my chest. I finally just said it, and she wanted to take away that pain. She could see it so fresh, so she promised to help. I mean, I thought it would be like a nose job. And my dad had great health insurance through work. And we went to a couple doctors who said there wasn't, there wasn't a medical reason to do any corrective surgery on my sternum. So insurance wouldn't cover it until we went to another doctor. And he was willing to stretch the truth and say, since I was running track, my sternum could restrict lung capacity if I ever tried to compete at an elite level. Now, I had to run track in summer camp, you know, outside a gym class where you showed up in shorts. I was tall, I was thin, I was focused. So I loved track at summer camp and I especially love long jump, but I was never gonna be an athlete. But it was enough to get the surgery covered by insurance. And all of this took a long time. And it wasn't until the summer between eighth grade and freshman year in high school that I finally got it scheduled. So this July midnight, staring at the Washington Monument, waiting for it to happen, this was the last thing I remembered until the after. And it's the after really is the reason I'm telling you this. If you have open heart surgery, they need to cut bone and break your ribs to get at the heart. So except for the heart part of the surgery, I had the same thing. My ribs were broken and my sternum cracked open and it left a 10-inch incision across my chest. Pain in waves. To this day, no pain can come close to it and I have a shiver of a dream memory of them even coming to during the surgery. Until the pain in waves faded into a morphine haze that delayed the next wave of pain. I was in a hospital gown tied to machines that kept ringing alarms because the machines registered that I had stopped breathing, that I was dying, but I wasn't dying. I was just breathing so shallow that I kept triggering the monitors wired to my body. It, 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 it hurt to breathe. It hurt to breathe. I don't... I don't have any concept of time. I, I don't know how long it was before I came to enough that I could look around. By that time, I was alone 
in a large room with several other beds all surrounded by curtains like mine, behind which other children were recuperating from their own private surgeries, all backdrop by a fluorescent evenness and the beeping murmurs of nurses working when I had a wave of clarity sharp enough. I finally looked at what had been done. I pulled open the neck of my loose gown, looked down at the tenant's suture and wound, stapled shut and raw, and to my tired eyes, except for the scar, my chest didn't look any different. It didn't look any different. I wanted it fixed, and it looked the same. I did this for nothing. It was useless suffering, and it was all my fault. It was useless suffering. It was all my fault, and it was all for nothing. And it was all my fault for believing that I could fix it. That moment of shock sent me back into another pain cocoon. But... That's where I put my first adult feeling. That's where I feel like I became an adult. The, the consequences of actions irrefutable. And there's nothing anyone can do to fix it. I couldn't stand up because of the pain and I was in the hospital on my back for eight days before I was wheeled in a chair to the door. Welcome to episode three, Be Your Own Boss. I'm going to tell you about Russ Dalby next, but first, I just want to point out that when I was telling you about being a kid in the hospital and coming to and looking at my surgery and, and, and seeing no change, I do want to acknowledge that, that in the years that followed, I, I could see that it did actually look different. They did do something, but... I wanted them to fix it. I wanted them to transform me. That's what I believed would happen. But instead, it just looked different. And in the moment, it certainly didn't look different enough for me to see any difference, if that makes sense. And that does feel relevant. I didn't want to imply that I did this horrific surgery and they did nothing but they did nothing for me. <laughs> so, anyways, Russ Dolby. Ever fall asleep on the couch by yourself while watching TV? I mean, old-fashioned TV, broadcast, or cable. My kids love Charms lollipops, and they like bubble gum, so I buy Charms Blow Pops. Then you wake up, it's the middle of the night, the TV's still on, the dark room glowing with its pale flicker, and then there's somebody on screen promising to teach you how to get rich quick. There's only one thing you need to know to be successful in the note business. Are you ready for the big secret? Well, here it is. That liminal magic space can be a gold mine. In the early aughts, one of the biggest late night 
television infomercial charlatans was Russ Dolby. It doesn't get any easier than my simple three steps. You just find cash flow notes, you list them, and make money. Three easy steps. Find them, list them, make money, and it's just that easy. And his hook was that he could teach you how to make money in real estate by selling notes. You could be your own boss. You could work from home, work part-time. Don't use any of your own money. Easy, right? Well, it worked well enough for us that in the five years I worked for him, he pulled $330 million out of his company. But the man who taught Russ how to make money at that scale, that man was bankrupt when he killed himself while in federal custody awaiting trial for fraud. So it's complicated. Plus, I don't know if it was literally $330 million. I never saw any bank statements, but that's the amount the lawyer for the Colorado Attorney General's office told me that Russ made off with. I could have had that conversation over the phone with his lawyer. People I worked with had gotten calls from that lawyer and everybody just talked to him, but I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to talk to him. I ducked his calls. So he subpoenaed me. And that's how I ended up stuck in my lawyer's conference room talking about Russ Dalby. Today, Russ Dalby invites you to try his newest, easiest three-step system so you can stop living paycheck to paycheck and start enjoying life. To be in control of my financial future is amazing. It was just after I quit, so it might have looked like I knew something because the day I quit, two hours after I left the building, the office was raided and documents were seized by investigators. The state of Colorado started an investigation on Russ Dolby, but I did not know they were coming. The lawyer was just trying to provoke me by telling me how much cash Russ was pulling out of his company, as if I get all jealous and turn on Russ or something. I said, it's his money. Money he made by conning other people, doesn't that bother you? I was not going to talk about my moral struggle with some lawyer trolling for evidence. But his line of questioning signaled to me that I wasn't a target. So I started to argue. What about the new casinos being built in Blackhawk? The TV commercials showed a normal guy but he's winning at slots. Then all of a sudden he's wearing a top hat and beautiful women start paying attention to him. Four-leaf clovers flashing on the screen. He's getting rich and maybe he's even getting late. But do the actual odds appear in the ad on the TV? The actual odds of striking it rich in Blackhawk, Colorado? Results may vary. Doesn't quite cut it. And what about the bartender in the casino? pretending to be the alcoholic's best friend because the tips are so good. Or the blackjack deal. What if she was honest with everybody who sat down to play and said, you know, you're probably going to lose. She'd get fired her first day. Russ was one of the top 100 infomercials in the early aughts, which is when all of this happened. His original sin was that in the infomercial, he ran on TV over and over. He never told you what the actual success rate of his students was. 
and it was near zero, but if he had figured out some way to say it and make you still believe in his magic, he never would have been shut down. He never would have been a target. But Russ's defense was, basically, that even though you probably won't succeed with his proven method, you could. And he promised to teach people how to get rich if you bought his books. But he also promised if you bought his books, you could call into a free hotline to get advice on using his proven wealth-building techniques. He called these customer service reps success counselors, and I was one of Russ's success counselors. When you called in for advice on getting rich, you got me, maybe. My top managers and I personally handpick our team to give you that extra help. My first day on the job, I was dumped into Russ's conference room with Jeff. Surrounded by empty leather chairs, he had Russ's books all scattered across the large wooden table. Jeff was supposed to train me and explain to me what all this meant, this winning in the cash flow business. Jeff was a little distracted, though. His right hand was all bandaged up, and he told me he had burned himself the night before when he accidentally splashed hot cooking oil onto the palm of his right hand that was holding the frying pan. After spending a late night in the emergency room, he was tired and admitted to being a little distracted by the pain pills they had prescribed. So he was a little hard to follow as he paged through the material with me. Then they put me on the phone so fast. I actually do have something to add. Okay. I just remembered, see, okay, I'll be honest with you, man. I was kind of messed up whenever I ordered. Right. I had, I had been drinking and which it was the main reason why I ordered in the first place. So you should advertise that, get drunk. Uh, <laughs> but uh, My cubicle was one of a dozen or so, all filled with newly minted success counselors. Everyone had a computer at their tiny desk. Crowded in with a phone and a headset was a cassette deck wired to the phone. The kind of tape deck from a 20th century classroom, flat with one speaker, and to record, you put in a blank tape and press the play button and the record button at the same time to start the tape rolling and recording whatever was on the phone at that moment. I was supposed to record every call. And if it was a sale, then I'd hand in the tape as proof. But if it wasn't a sale, then I was supposed to tape over the call. Like the other dozen or so success counselors, I had never been involved in the note business, and most of our time was spent paging through Russ's books, reading out the answers. Right. Now, once I get the non-circumcised agreement, sorry, does she, um, shouldn't she have this payout agreement already? But I don't want to give it to her because then you just skip right over me then, right? Right. right. So I send it to her, fax it to her, then have her sign it. I want the original yeah. signature, though. Yeah, you want her on the, the non-circumcised agreement. We'd answer your questions, provided you were in the database as a customer. So I'd listen to your problem, and if it wasn't something I could read back from the book, then there was always something to upsell, like some new DVD to help you get started faster. And if that didn't work, I'd transfer the call to the actual sales team, because there was a sales team that worked on pure commission. They didn't answer your stupid questions about the course. Their job was to sell solutions to help you get as rich as you wanted to get, as quick as you wanted to, as long as you were willing to pay extra. 
to pay a lot extra. And as long as you had an available credit card with an available balance, they would sell you personal coaching or in-person seminars. These are products that cost thousands of dollars, of which the salesmen, and they were almost always men, got 15% commission. And Russ knew it really didn't matter if the success counselors knew anything about the note business because our job, our main job, was to believe whatever story the customer was telling about themselves. And I told him, I said, now this guy's got a hell of an idea for cat poles. Huh? I said, cat poles? I said, yeah, cat poles. They look like gerbil cages on wheels. Huh. But they're for the cats. Yeah. And it's a damn good idea. I was paid to not break their fourth wall. The book was just a filter. Buying it qualified you for targeting from the sales team. Russ's whole business ran on processing a constant supply of new phone numbers and available credit card balances. He generated cash by airing his infomercial on the cheapest ad slots he could find on cable TV, you know, 4 a.m. on the Golf Channel. What exactly is a cash flow note? It's really quite simple. A cash flow note is simply an IOU. One person makes payments to another person over a period of time, and that's it. That's a cash flow note. Okay, so how does that make someone money? It's so incredibly easy, you wouldn't believe it. You simply find a cash flow note, and there's millions of them out there. And then you list what you just found on my exclusive nationwide buyer's network, where buyers are ready to buy what you just found. So you just find a note, list it on your exclusive network, and when the deal is done, you make money, just like that. It doesn't get any easier than my simple three steps. You just find cash flow notes, you list them, and make money. So on a good week, Maybe 3,000 people call the number on the screen and buy Russ's package. Uh, at the time I worked there, it was a, about 150 bucks for the package. So that's like $450,000 a week. That's almost half a million dollars. The thing is, it cost about that much to keep the whole thing running. All that ad time, printing costs, back-end office costs paying the service that answered the 24-7 calls. The success counselors didn't answer the number on the screen. We wouldn't help you until you were in the database as a customer. And we were only there 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. So Russ didn't get rich selling books on TV. It was the sales team that called you back and promised to get you coaching or seminars or tutoring. At four in the morning, everybody wants to be their own boss, but these people revealed themselves to be true believers. They said yes with a credit card. They became a lead. I started to perform for the tape. Hey, you got a couple people on the line there. No, uh, please, can you ignore it? Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. All these payphones. Uh, yeah, I hear you, man. Well, well, go ahead. I'm sorry to bother you. Go, go ahead. Okay. What it is is, I send out 400 to professional newsletters. Okay. And 400 to note holders, postcards. Do right. Do right. Huh? Do right. Tell them how to do right. 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 Do right.
careful, man. He, that guy sounds mad. No. I'm trying, man. It's uh, I'm trying. I'm with you. Okay. Okay. So, but I mean, I had some. Uh oh. Uh oh. Is that you? Uh, I can't understand you. No, it's not me. Oh, no, it's not you. No, They all believed they could get rich using Russ's methods, and yet no one ever did. I started recording snippets of the weirdest calls and sharing them as MP3 files with the rest of the call center. They were big hits. Uh, no, Other reps started giving me their weird phone calls, and I'd mix them together. I spent a lot of time at work making these. I installed a sound card into my work computer so that I could sample the tapes at my desk. And I installed an audio editor to make the loops. And uh, producing these collages was fun for a little while. I knew what I was doing was wrong, but somehow spending time at work making little audio collages of the weirdest calls, I thought it made me immune, like keeping myself above it. And by far, the most popular call that I ever shared was Tubes Tied Lady. So, what, what about, uh, you know, uh, a church? I need you, need, you need to get to a church. You need, you need, need to put yourself before somebody. I need 7,500. In between 7,500. Why, why do you need 7,500? To get my tubes all tied. To get, no, that's not a priority. If you have no money, you're worrying about that. Lady, you're, you, first of all, you're calling me. You shouldn't. Um, you're obviously, you know, you're at the end of the rope. You're upset. Uh, you know, you cried as soon as you talked to me. You need to get some help. You don't need $7,500. Yes, I do. I missed recording the first part of the call. I'm sure I didn't start recording because she was never going to buy. She called into the 24-7 hotline number on the TV show, but... All they can do is take your order. The service Russ used took calls for lots of infomercials in the middle of the night. They'll answer the phone, but they can't answer your questions. They will, though, take down your address if you want more information. So this woman gave her address and got Russ's little brochure that he sends out to everyone that gives their address but not their credit card. The book's the same shit as the TV show, except it looks like a Reader's Digest, and the number listed to call to get started is us, is success counselors. So we all hated those brochure calls. The only thing we were supposed to do was sell them the course. Ma'am, you shouldn't even be, t you don't even know me. I'm, I'm in Colorado. You shouldn't waste your emotion on some stranger. You should, you should find somebody locally to help you. I can't. Yes, you can. You, you, no, I can't. You, you've, every you've given up. I, listen, every, every.
every church I tried to get to help me, they won't have a fundraiser for me. They don't. You don't need a fundraiser. You need some soup, and you need somebody to help you with rent. You don't need a fundraiser. What do you mean I need some soup? You, you say you have no money and no job. I assume you're also hungry. No, I... Well, if I, you're not hungry and your rent's paid, don't sweat it. Keep watching television at 4 in the morning, and uh, don't, don't worry about getting your tubes untied. Yes. I do want them on tight. But you shouldn't be telling me that, ma'am. I'm a complete stranger. <laughs> Fucking bit bastard. I can hear myself actually trying to help her. And maybe that's a little too generous of an interpretation because I was performing for the tape. I was trying to be honest, not cruel. It was just dumb luck when she called back a few days later and happened to get me again. And by dumb luck, I mean just dumb. This is where I cross the Rubicon. This is where I change. This is where I turn into somebody that would help Russ. You need a website? Uh, no, usually what, what we do here is uh, we, we set up fundraisers for needy people. Um, so we don't really have a course anymore. This is a, a non-profit organization, Russ Dalby's helping uh, unfortunates win in the cash flow business. Yeah. <laughs> I got a note from him. Right. August, August 2nd, it says, a few days ago you watched my TV show regarding right. making thousands of dollars just by finding cash flow notes and listing them on my website. But, but first you have to buy the course, though. You had called us before. You, you were trying to get your tubes untied. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's changed. It still costs 135 bucks. Do you, you understand that? For the chorus? Right. I explained that to you before, and you started screaming at me that you needed to get your tubes untied, and you needed $7,000, and then you called me a bastard and hung up on me. Do you remember that call? Yeah. Yeah. So why are you calling me back? I don't need this abuse. You still don't have $135. How do you know? I'm just guessing. You got a credit card? You want to prove me wrong? I'll, I'll order it right now for you. Okay, you can order it. Okay, what's your credit card number? 254. Uh, no, no credit cards start with two. Stop messing with me, ma'am. Don't you have anything better to do than to bother people on the phone? It's very strange. I'm very puzzled by your behavior, ma'am. Why did he send me this note there? It's called marketing, ma'am, mass marketing. Not every commercial is talking directly to you. He wasn't talking to you. He was talking in general. He didn't write that letter to you. It's a mimeograph copy. He doesn't even know who you are. Then why does it say my name? <laughs> I can't explain how the world works to you, ma'am. You've got to ask somebody around you that. That's a, I mean, it happened, you know, did, Russ doesn't know who you are. He's not trying to contact you. He's sending you junk mail because he wants you to buy his course. That's all he wants. Right, he's selling something. That's why he's on TV. Anybody with an ad on TV, they're selling something. Otherwise, they can't afford to be on TV. He's stupid. <laughs> well, maybe, you know, you should look in the mirror. He's so freaking dumb. <laughs> well, you're not, you don't seem like a genius either, ma'am. Well, how do you know? <laughs> because you I've know. talked to you before. I've talked to you before, and you screamed at me. That's 
because you were trying to make me send money. I no, don't. that's because you were demanding a fundraiser. You said that Russia should have a fundraiser for you. I mean, what planet are you on? What planet are you on? <laughs> I'm on Earth, and I don't you think you not. are. You are not. You're right, I'm not. I'm actually on Neptune, and I'm monitoring your thoughts, and they're disturbing. It's like a video screen of all your thoughts, and I'm looking at them right now, and it's creeping me out. I'm an interplanetary customer service representative. Why don't you just hang up on me, ma'am? I don't understand. So what would a person have to do? Uh, what, what a person would have to do is hang up on me and then start their life and go look for an actual job and not uh, fly-by-night fantasy things. Don't waste your time on us, I'm telling you. I'll tell, I told you that before and I'll tell you again. Uh, regular jobs don't, won't give me 7500 They will if you work at them. You know, you get 500 a week, 250 a week. Now, I'm not giving you any sympathy, ma'am. I don't know you, you know. Stop, uh, stop watching TV at 4 in the morning and believe in everything you see. Nobody on TV at 4 in the morning is doing anything but selling you a product. Then why do they say you can, you can make money too? Because they want you to call and buy it. Don't you understand how commercials work? They want to get your money. And so they say things that they think will make you give them the money. And they won't send you the chorus? Oh, I'd love to send you the chorus. You just don't have $135 to throw down on it. You, you, you can't afford our chorus. So I can't help you until you buy it. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know that too. I mean, you're yeah. over your board or, or you know, you're, you're making prank phone calls. I mean, I hope that you're kidding too. I hope you're really not like this. I hope you understand what you're doing. No, I'm not like that. Yeah. Well, good. Then why are you still talking to me? I'm obviously being rude and abrasive. Why would you put up with that? I don't know. <laughs> well, I like me neither. Talk. I like to talk to well, you. Well, I, I don't like to talk to you, so don't call back. I chopped up those two calls into one track and I emailed it to everybody. It was a huge hit. Reps started quoting bits of the call like it was a show. What do you mean I need some soup? <laughs> At most places, a call like that would get you fired. I did not get fired. I didn't get fired because as rude as I was, I still tried to get her credit card number. I still went for the sale. But she was never going to buy so she was of no value to Russ. His system needed to very efficiently filter the true believers with credit cards from the true believers without. Filtering out the broke true believers was the success counselor's tasks and hammering the true believers with credit card balances was the job of the commission sales team. Not only did I not get fired for that phone call, I got promoted. You've been listening to How to Break Money, and I'm Eric Allen. For all episodes and more information, visit howtobreakmoney.com.
to contact me directly, write a message and send it to howtobreakmoney at gmail.com. And if you listen this far, please rate the episode on whatever app you use or share it with a friend. Portions of this episode were told before on KCRW's show Unfictional in the episode 1-800-KISS-MY-ASS that I produced with Bob Carlson and Nick Wood.